I'd like to talk with you today about your life and what Jesus has to do with your life. There was a special on National Geographic this last week about the life of Jesus. And National Geographic Channel is really excited because they've broken their all-time viewing record. Uh, within the last week, the most Googled thing in the world is Jesus Christ. On Twitter this morning, the, all the top trending things were Happy Easter, Happy Easter Sunday, He is risen. I want to help you understand today, what does this have to do with you? Is this just a sentimental Nice, kind of fun thing to say. What does Jesus have to do with your life? And I'd like to show you in our time together why Jesus matters in your life, with your bills, with your family, with your health concerns, with your career and your schedule and your needs. It was this Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, this Sunday morning, that a dead body, a body that had been beaten and tortured and then buried, stood up, and walked, and proved to the world that the man inside of that body was not any ordinary man. But again, what does that mean for you today? It was during this last week, 2,000 years ago, and again, the Bible speaks of this, but secular historians document that it was this week, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus, who claimed to be God, who said essentially that the all-powerful hand of Almighty God was gently reaching down into humanity to pull from the water those who were drowning in their own despair, in their own problems. And it was this last week, 2,000 years ago, that he was publicly tortured willingly, willfully, not resisting those who killed him because he said, I'm going to the cross intentionally to take a punishment that those who trust in me will never have to take on their own. Well, many people claim to speak for Jesus. Unfortunately, oftentimes, many are mistaken. They'll say Jesus said this or Jesus said that. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look into the gospel account of Jesus' life and we're going to let Jesus speak for himself so that you can leave here today knowing the truth about Jesus. First, I thought I'd illustrate how funny it is when sometimes well-intentioned people try to communicate the heart of God, but uh, we fail at times. So here's some examples of that from some church signs. Let's look at the first church sign. Do you know what hell is? Come here, our preacher. Now, thankfully, that's not the cornerstone church sign, but boy... The pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church must be feeling a little funny. Here's, here's another one. This church says, um, we love hurting people. <laughs> Remember that movie Fight Club? This is like the Fight Club church, right? You come in and they just give it to you. I think I was once in a church like that, actually. Here's another one. Have trouble sleeping? We have sermons. Come here, one. Okay, so hopefully that won't happen this morning. And let's look at one more from a really helpful church. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. (laughs) 
Well, lots of people try to speak up and say, this is what Jesus said or didn't say or did or didn't do. Thankfully, uh, we have historic records that are actually the most well-documented of any ancient manuscripts that are 2,000 years old. The most documented ancient manuscripts in all the world are the New Testament scriptures. Uh, there are literally thousands of copies of these. You can find uh, copies, well, historians have found copies written on leather in the mountains in Italy, and they've found copies written on parchment in the sands in Egypt. And they put all these thousands of manuscripts side by side, and you can look this up online. It's called textual criticism, and you can find that the vast majority of them agree with each other. So we actually know from disciples who walked with Jesus the things that Jesus said, and that's what we'll look at today in Luke chapter 4. I want to start by telling you guys uh, an unbelievable story that I came across recently. Uh, it's the story of two brothers who had a shoe company together, and then they had a falling out, and they never talked to each other again for the rest of their lives. Here's the brothers. Um, maybe you've heard of the company Adidas. Well, this one brother, his name was Adi Dossler. This is a true story. This happened in Germany in the 1940s, right after World War II. Uh, Adi and his brother Rudolf uh, had this shoe company. They got into a big fight, and they lived in this village in Germany that had a river running through it. And Rudolf was so upset after this falling out that in the middle of the night, he packed up all his stuff. He took what he thought was his half of the shoe company, and he crossed the river, and he set up shop on the other side of the river. And literally, for about 35 years, these two brothers, they would look out their shop windows across the river and see each other, but they never talked again. They didn't show up when the other one's kids would have a birthday party. Uh, when their wives passed away, they didn't go to each other's wife's funeral and put their arm around each other. They, they lived the rest of their life with this river separating them. And, and, and Rudolph eventually named his company Puma. And think about this. Think of the irony. These two obviously incredibly uh, motivated and successful businessmen have this, this life of really building these world brands. And yet through all of it, they have this deep, deep unresolved conflict in their life to the point that uh, for many years people in that village because most of them were employees at either the Puma factory or the Adidas factory right you'd kind of look down at the person's shoes to see which side they were on I thought man how sad in 35 years to never once send a messenger across the bridge to say, I bring news from your brother. He says it's been long enough. It's time for the two of us to make up. Well, God brought you here today because he has news for you. News from across the river. He says it's been long enough. It's time to make up. It's time for the things that have separated you and God to be bridged. You see, before you were born, God knew you by name. He began reaching out to you long ago. And from eternity past, God loved you so much that he stepped down into our world to show you 
how much he loves you. And here's the incredible thing about God. He didn't just send a messenger, right? He could have sent an angel. Uh, He could have sent some messenger to say, here's how much God loves you. But he decided that he himself, the, the God who breathed galaxies into existence, he would humble himself and he would take upon him our humanity, uh, the weaknesses of our human bodies. He, he willingly humbled himself because he was coming across the bridge. See, Jesus came to bring great news, and here's the news. The God who created you loves you and wants to help you. Now, in the busyness of life, maybe you don't often think right now about God. But the reality is the vast majority of people in America and outside of America do believe. We just kind of know internally there's, there's something that made us. And God brought you here this morning for you to know that the being who made you loves you and desires to be in relationship with you. And that's the message that Jesus carried when he came to earth. Long before I was a pastor, I worked for a number of years as a journalist And when I was a journalist, my job was not to make the news, not to manufacture the news, not even to give an opinion on the news. It was to report the news. And a really good, a really good, true journalist or reporter, that's what they do. They report the news and they kind of keep themselves out of it. They're not the story. They don't make the big things happen in the world. They report on what's happening. Well, this is different from Jesus. When Jesus came, he didn't come from God as a reporter. He brought the good news, but he also made the good news happen. And that's what we're going to learn about today in Luke chapter 4. Let's start in verse 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach Good news to the poor. By the way, this word good news uh, in Jesus' language was one word, and it was one of his favorite words. Jesus said this word over and over again, that he came to bring good news. And sometimes as someone who tries to follow Jesus today, it makes me sad when I see people who name the name of Christ and, and, and were not known for good news. We're kind of known for having a chip on our shoulder or a grudge or bad news. Well, that's not how Jesus came. He came to preach good news. And he makes a big claim here. Here's what he says in verse 19. He says that Almighty God, he's been sent from heaven as God to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context about these things that Jesus is saying. Because you see, when Jesus says this, he's in a Jewish synagogue. Uh, He's in a a worship service, essentially. And in there are grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads and young children. And, And the rabbi, the religious teacher, essentially invited Jesus to come read a scripture. And Jesus picks this scripture, which was originally prophesied by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And everyone sitting in this synagogue knows these prophecies are about the Messiah. That is, the Jewish people knew God had promised since sin came into the world, 
and has infected everything. Sin has infected our bodies so that we die. It's infected our relationships so that even when we love people, very often our relationships are dysfunctional. It's infected the planet so that we have natural disasters. Sin and evil have literally just ruined planet Earth and humanity. And all these Jewish people in the synagogue, they lived daily knowing that God was going to come in a person called Messiah who would save us from our sin. And all these people are waiting for Messiah. And they know when Jesus reads this, this prophecy from Isaiah that it's about Messiah. What's incredible about this setting and this story is that after Jesus reads these claims about Messiah, he essentially says, and it's me. I'm here. Now, this might sound romantic to those of us who believe in Christ. If you don't yet believe in Christ, here's what I want you to consider today. There have been a lot of religious teachers in world history. And uh, if you listen to certain college professors, you'd think that anyone who believes any of them is an idiot. What, what, what those particular college professors might not tell you is that more than 90% of the world population believes a religious faith. So, so believing religious faith puts you in 90% of humanity. Now, of everyone who believes anything, including the belief that there is no God, there's one thing that more than anyone in the world believes. There's one belief system that about 2 billion people believe, and that is that Jesus was God, that he did die on the cross for our sins, that he did miraculously rise from the dead, and that he told his followers, anyone who believes in me, after their body wears out on this earth, will go to an eternal life with me. Not only that, anyone who believes in me will be set free from what the Bible calls sin, what God calls sin. That is addictive behaviors and patterns that are bad for us. He'll set us free from that. You realize more, more than any other belief system in the world right now, that is the most common belief system in the world. But at this time, these people knew Jesus. They knew him as a little boy who'd grown up in their area. And, and the thought that he could possibly be Messiah or God seemed outrageous. Now, I wonder, when Jesus is talking about these blind people and these poor people, who is Jesus talking about? Who does Jesus call blind and poor? Well, he's actually talking about me, and he's talking about you spiritually because of that river that has separated us from God. Why does Jesus call us poor, oppressed prisoners? Come on, Jesus, this isn't very friendly. <laughs> Why are you calling me a poor, oppressed prisoner? Well, because without Jesus, we're separated from God by our sin. Remember that, that river in that little German village with Rudolf Dassler on one side and Adi Dassler on the other side, and there's this river that separates them? God tells us that the moment sin entered humanity, this goes all the way back to that Garden of Eden, the moment sin entered humanity, there was a rift, there was a tear in the fabric of the universe, and now all humans were born into a world that's infected and polluted and were born separated from God. Romans 3 verse 23 puts it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
That river that separates you from God is the same river that separates me from God. It's a river of, of evil. It's a river of things that, that, that God can't be associated with because it would pollute the only perfect being in the universe. And in Romans 3, verse 23, it doesn't say that some have sinned. Or, you know, some sinned really bad and, and God will never deal with them, but you just kind of sinned a little, so if you work really hard, he'll take you, you know. It doesn't say that. Uh, in fact, this is, again, something that Christians, Christ followers in the USA right now tend to really be unbiblical about. God doesn't have a hierarchy of which sins are worse and which sins are not so bad. You know, well, that one's really bad, but this one's not so bad. We tend to do that. God says all sin, any sin, it separates you from a holy God. And take it personally in the fact that it applies to you, but don't take it personally in the fact that it's all of us. I'm as sinful as anyone in the world has ever been. Our mistakes and our flaws separate us from a perfect God. But we tend to think, if we're honest, right? I'm not that bad a person. What's the big deal with all the sin stuff? Like, I'm not that bad a person. One of the reasons we don't see a need for Jesus in our lives is that verse, remember? He'd give sight to the blind. We're, we're spiritually blind to our own need. Here's how God describes my sin and yours in Romans 6, verse 23. He says the wages or the payment. You know, you get a paycheck at your work, or maybe it's on auto deposit. Those are your wages, right? You work, and the consequence is, hopefully, <laughs> you get a paycheck. God says, we, each of us, have had moments where we've chosen to lie, or we've chosen to hurt someone, or we've, we, we, we've, we've each had those impulses that we know we shouldn't give in to, and we have, right? Let's just be honest, right? And God says that there's a paycheck for that, the paycheck for that is, is death. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is that Jesus built a bridge across that river. When we could never swim through all of our mistakes to get to God, Jesus built that bridge. Have you ever seen that TV show, Intervention? been around for quite a while now. It, it's a show where friends and families will, will all get together when someone has, has a, a really, really terrible addiction. You know, usually it's alcohol or meth or heroin or something, but it could be shopping or it could be gambling. And in the show Intervention, all these people who love the addict, they all get together in a room, right? 10 or 20 of them. And the purpose is the addict comes in and the addict thinks, oh, I don't have that big a problem, right? I just, you know, every once in a while I'll have a little drink. And the hope is that with 20 people in a circle who all know the addict, the hope is that the addict's blind eyes will be opened. And that in that moment, because of all the people who are there, in that moment, maybe this person who is blind to their own addictive behavior, maybe their eyes will be opened, when someone has an addiction, they don't realize how destructive it is to themselves. They don't realize how it wounds and warps all the other people in their lives. And that's exactly how sin is in our lives. 
It's exactly how it is. We think, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not really going to hurt my wife. It's not really going to hurt my kids. It's not really going to hurt me. There's an old saying that goes like this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin always makes us think that we're in control. We take that first step down the road, but we're blind to the final destination. Perhaps you're here this Easter morning and you think, oh, I don't really, I don't really need Christ. And it might just be that you haven't yet tasted the vomit enough. You haven't yet felt the bruises or seen the scabs that sin will bring. And that's the state of all of us. This isn't some condemnation, this isn't some judgment on you. This is all of us. We're all in this sin-infested world together. Others of you in here, you've been around the block with sin. And you've started to taste its destruction. But remember those church signs? We love hurting people. You know you don't want your life to be controlled by those things anymore. But every time you've stepped out to a church or to Jesus, you've heard messages that make you think, yeah, I don't belong there. You've heard messages that think, man, I'm, I'm not good enough to go to that church. I'm not good enough to be with those people. You've been told to run away from God because you're not good enough. Or maybe you've been told, just try a little harder. Keep trying harder. And maybe you even got on that treadmill for a while. And like a little hamster on a wheel, you kept trying, I'm going to make up for all the bad things I did. I'm going to work really hard. But eventually you get exhausted and you wonder, when is enough? When have I been good enough? When have I done enough? These messages leave us exhausted and discouraged. Will I ever do enough good things to wash away my bad things? But Jesus brings better news. Jesus brings good news. Jesus says, you and I, we can't fix ourselves, and that's okay. Because he can, if we'll invite him. Remember that verse, the wages, the paycheck for sin is death. And no one gets out of that. Bill Gates isn't going to get out of that. Warren Buffett's not going to get out of that. doesn't matter how much money you generate in your life or how much fame or how much success. There have been some very powerful people in world history. Napoleon Bonaparte, Alexander the Great. None of them yet have defied death. Neither will you. But Jesus did. And Jesus promises that all who believe in him, that paycheck for death, he says, I've taken your paycheck for you. <laughs> I've taken your right consequences for you. If you believe in me, you can have eternal life. And beginning now in your life, you can start to have freedom from those things that enslave your mind and your actions and your relationships. Jesus took our death on the cross. And for all who believe in him, it's like he applies his good deeds, his goodness, his rightness to our bank account if we'll receive him. It's almost like we're sitting on one river bank of that river separating us from God. And it's almost like we've got our backs to him and our arms folded. We'll find God. If you don't want me, I don't want you either. Even when we did that, as all of humanity together did that, God 
built the bridge, stepped out to connect us back to him. See, Jesus built the only bridge that can connect me back to God. It's a narrow claim. Jesus said, as you go through life searching for meaning and purpose, eventually you'll find that a sexuality in and of itself, it will not give you ultimate meaning in, a, in your life. It might give you some moments of pleasure, but it's not going to give you meaning. Riches and wealth, same thing. It might be fun for a while to have the new car, the new house, but look at the people who've got 10 new cars and 10 new houses. And if you have a chance to get to know them, you're going to find they're not really much happier than the single mom in the trailer park apart from Jesus, okay? And Jesus says there's, there's only one thing that can satisfy you, and that is being reconnected to the being who created you and shaped you and breathed life into you. And Jesus said, yes, it's a narrow way. That bridge across the river is narrow, but it's open to everyone. It's open to you. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And listen to this. God demonstrated his love for us in this. Here's how much God loves you. While we were still sinners, that is, while we were standing on our side of the river with our backs to him, maybe even a finger in the air, right? Don't need you, God. While we were in that posture to God, Christ not only came with a message for us, but took the penalty for us, died in our place. A couple years ago, a prominent atheist, Christopher Hitchens, passed away. Uh, so it was a sad moment for me because Christopher Hitchens and I, we didn't share the same beliefs about God, but Christopher Hitchens was a brilliant mind and a, a really gifted writer. I loved reading his work. He often wrote in Vanity Fair magazine. Hitchens defined himself not simply as an atheist, that is someone who doesn't believe there is a God, but an anti-theist, someone who wanted to spend his life opposing and disproving God. Hitchens denied that there's any evil in the world, where I definitely differ from him. When I read reports of four people going into a college in Kenya this last week and just massacring 147 people, lining them up, are you a Christian or not? You are killing all the Christians, knowing that the same kind of things are happening in Syria and Iraq, Egypt. Tragically, sin blinded Christopher Hitchens' eyes to its very existence. This bright, bright mind who could somehow say there's no evil in the world. But remember, didn't Jesus say that, that we're all blind until we come to him? We're blind to sin in our own lives and we're blind to sin around us. And here's the, the really sad thing. See, Christopher Hitchens' dad died of throat cancer. And Christopher Hitchens knew that the reason his dad had throat cancer is that his dad was a chain smoker his whole life. Hitchens knew this. Incredibly high IQ. One of the most insightful minds of our time. And he knows this. My dad died at a young age because he was a chain smoker. And yet, Christopher Hitchens, knowing that, lived his years as a chain smoker. Despite this brilliant intellect. Knowing the logical outcome 
but blind to the reality of how enslaving this is. Blind to the reality that when God calls something sin, he's not just some fairy in the sky who says, oh, I'm going to make everything that's fun off limits. Okay, that's not what God did. The things he calls sin, he calls them that because he wants the best for you. Doesn't want you to die at age 50 from throat cancer. Well, Hitchens knew that and yet smoked chronically. And he never would have called it sin, but whatever it was, it ended up costing him his life. Tragically, it was the very same day after working his whole life as a writer, the very same day that his book hit the New York Times bestseller. I mean, that is like the highest moment in the life of a writer. That's the day that he learned that he had severe throat cancer. Tumors all throughout his neck and his collarbones. So how does a person who built a career being anti-God position themselves for death? Well, here's what Hitchens wrote in a Vanity Fair magazine piece about his cancer. He said, quote, I've been taunting the reaper into taking a free sickle in my direction and have now succumbed to something so predictable and banal that it bores even me. Rage would be beyond the point. And then listen to this, some of his final words. He says, instead, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. Looking back on his life, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. Death will come for us all. When we're riding high in our career, we're young and healthy, we don't really think about it. Death's going to come for all of us, no matter how talented or successful we are. And if we reject God's offer through Christ, which Christopher Hitchens knew all about and chose to reject, if you make that choice, then the final moments of your life, will they be badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste? So interesting, you know, all the scientific arguments about God and the universe and Jesus and history, and there's a lot of great intellectual truths there. I think the real proof is in the people. I've sat at a lot of bedsides while people have left this earth. And the people who believe in Jesus, there's this peace. It's, it's supernatural. There's this supernatural peace that they know, I'm going to walk through a little bit of suffering and I'm going to wake up in an eternal life. Hitchens sadly didn't have that. Jesus came to bring eternal life for all who will receive it. Not only that, Jesus provides the only power to defeat evil in my life. I mean, think about Christopher Hitchens' mind, knowing whenever he lights up a cigarette, I'm probably going to die 30 years early, the same way my dad did. But powerless to say no to it. And that's how scripture describes anyone, every one of us. Whether our vice is smoking something that's going to kill us, or drinking something that inebriates us, or watching something that arouses us, or wanting something that belongs to someone else. We've all got our different expressions of the sin nature. 
And God says, in our own strength, we're powerless to defeat them. But the good news of Christ is not only eternal life, the good news is that he will give you the power to defeat evil in your life. And you're sitting in a room right now full of people, Cornerstone's a church full of people who were alcoholics for 10 years, 20 years. Pastor Dan, 30 years an alcoholic, most of you don't even know that. 30 years lived as an alcoholic, came to faith in Christ, and what did Christ do? He defeated evil in Pastor Dan's life. And, and he's one of dozens who sit around you, who, who were enslaved to sin and through faith in Christ have been set free. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, in the jungle those long machetes that the, the locals have to cut a, a path through the thick brush. I want you to think about walking through a jungle like that. Would you rather be the person in front cutting the path or would you rather be a few people behind following in the line? The difference between what Jesus said and what all the other world religions teach is that difference. It's that Jesus already cut a path through sin and evil. And for all of us who trust in him now, it's, we simply follow him. And it's this supernatural thing. You can't really experience it until you step out and trust in him. But when you do, then he starts to defeat evil in your life. Things that you never could have said no to. Now, by the power of Jesus, you're able to say no to those things. Good things that you wouldn't have been able to say yes to, you're now able to say yes to. Jesus says, follow me, follow the one who's already defeated sin, and you'll see sin defeated in your life. This is the great news of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. He frees us in the habits and struggles of our lives today. And every Easter, that's why I get a little more excited every year at Easter. Because I see more and more people whose lives validate this claim that Jesus made. Yeah, I believe the history and I believe a bunch of intellectual things. But it's in my own life when I see my thoughts change. I see my actions change. When I see, wow, if, if Jesus hadn't been setting me free, if I had gone down that road, how terrible would my marriage be right now? But because of Jesus, I didn't have to go down that road. Thank you. It's as I'm raising my own kids and, and, and seeing in them all the things that Scripture says, that they're created in the image of God, but they have a sin nature. I mean, it, it, it's all true. And every Easter, I get to look back on another year in our church family here of seeing dozens and dozens of individuals and marriages who have defeated evil because of Jesus' power in their lives. I've seen him take selfish people and make them giving people. I've seen him take addicted people and set them free. I've seen him take hateful husbands and make them loving. And whether you and I believe it or not, the truth about Jesus, it will continue to march on through human history, with or without us. And that's why billions of people are celebrating it today. Like Christopher Hitchens, our human lives will be washed over by the ocean tides of human history. 
We're kind of like seashells on a, a shore. And even the brightest, the most gifted, the most talented, the richest of any decade or century, it just takes a few waves of time and they're forgotten about. But Christ stands like this rock cliff. And the waters that wash all the other humans out to sea, they beat up against the story of Jesus Christ. And wave after wave, they only confirm what Jesus said 2,000 years ago, that he was not a normal man. And he did not bring a normal message. He claimed to be God dying for you. And the most important question that you will ever answer in your life is who is Jesus? Do you believe that he's God? Will you receive the free forgiveness that he offers to you? God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that if you'll only believe in him, he's built the bridge, if you'll just step out in faith and say, God, I still have questions. I don't know how it all works, but I do believe you reached out to me. I want to step onto that bridge of salvation. You will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the great news of Easter. Almighty God chose to suffer and bleed and die because he loves you, because he longs to be in relationship with you. And there's nothing too extravagant. There's no price he wouldn't pay to reach you. Perhaps you walked in here today and you're empty. Perhaps you're tired. Perhaps you need some hope, some life breathed into your sails. Christ is what you're missing. You might not realize it. Maybe like me, so many days your eyes have been blinded to it, but Christ is what you lack. Accept his offer of forgiveness and peace will pour into your soul. See, today I choose whether I reject or accept Jesus and his good news. Like any gift, you've kind of got this choice, right? Be like if I had the keys up here to a new Corvette. You'd have to choose if you'd come up and take them. In a very similar way, God gives us this gift and he says, now it's your choice. I created you in my image to have a will of your own. No one else can make your decision for you. Your parents can't, your spouse can't, your college professors can't. No one else can make this choice but you. God gave you the gift of being able to make your own choices. Well, here's how to accept that free gift of salvation. If you want to set foot on that bridge that God built to you, God puts it this way in Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is, Jesus, I do believe that you're God. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus, I don't have it all figured out, but I do believe you died on the cross for my sins. I do believe you rose from the dead. God promises you, you confess that with your mouth, you believe that in your heart, you will be saved. It's a promise from God. In 2004, I walked into a drug house in Phoenix, a place where drug dealers sold cocaine and meth, but mostly heroin. I was there to meet Mickey, a 19-year-old heroin addict and prostitute. 
Mickey lived there because uh, essentially she would give her body to the pimps who owned the drug house, the different customers they would have in. And in exchange, they would give her uh, little balloons wrapped in foil full of black tar Mexican heroin. And I was there to profile Mickey for a newspaper piece about heroin addiction. Mickey and I walked to a little jack-in-the-box. It's one of those moments in my life that I'll never forget. She, she sat in this booth across, across from me, just shivering. Just this little frame of a body. But these, these icy electric blue eyes. I can still picture the life trapped and struggling behind them. Mickey had grown up in a well-to-do family in Scottsdale. Her dad was an attorney. She grew up like a, a normal, ideal American little girl with teddy bears on her bed, thinking that she would study hard in school and someday she'd become an attorney too. And then at a few parties, she tried some marijuana and a few other things. And then one day, a friend said, there's this new thing you have to try. So in a bathroom stall of a Barnes & Noble, Mickey injected herself with heroin. In her muddled words, she described it as agishing, which I think is an attempt at agonizing and anguish. It was the worst drug experience Mickey had ever had, but the next day she had to have it again, because that's how heroin works, that's how opiates work. From that moment on, heroin enslaved her. And writing Mickey's story for me was, was one of the most eye-opening moments of my life. You see, Mickey, she had shot up so much here on her arms that now she had to shoot up on her neck. So she had these scabs all over her neck because these veins here were just, they'd been injected so many times and in such a hurry that you couldn't even get an injection there anymore. Mickey's wounds were tragic. Her story was tragic. Her shriveling body was tragic. But the most tragic moment for me with Mickey came at the very end of my story. See, while I was writing that story, I had gotten in touch with some of the best addiction recovery centers in Arizona. And I had told one of them, hey, I'm profiling this girl. She's 19. Uh, and this is an addiction center that would cost tens of thousands of dollars to get into. And I, I asked the person, you know, I said, hey, you guys are going to get a lot of publicity through this story. If I could get Mickey to your guy's place, would you guys take her free of charge? And, you know, and they, they agreed to it. It was this incredible gift. You know, a heroin addict at age 19 with her kind of heroin addiction, she's probably not going to live past about 35 if she's lucky. Okay? And so I was able to go to Mickey and say, Mickey, here's a free gift that will change your life. It will set you free from this life that you call agishing. No more living in a drug house. No more shooting up in the bathroom. No more having to give your body away so you can get more heroin. Mickey, it's here and it's free. It will give you a better life and it will give you a longer life. You could live into your 40s. And I arranged with Mickey. She said, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. I said, okay, well, at, at this day, at this time, I'm going to pull up to your house 
and I'll come and ring the doorbell, but you have to choose to walk out and come to the car. And that day came, and that doorbell rang. But Mickey didn't walk to the car. You see, God describes us in exactly the same position with our sin. We're so addicted to it. We're so blind to it. It cuts our lives short. It takes the life out of our lives. And today he says to you, here's this free gift. If you'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be set free from the things that enslave you. You'll live an eternal life. But you got a choice to make, just like Mickey had a choice to make. I want to invite you right now to close your eyes for just a few minutes. Please close your eyes and please stay with me mentally. Focus on what we're saying. I want you to picture that cool, dark, icy river that runs between you and God. That river of your mistakes and your failures. I wonder this morning, which side of that river are you on? Are there still things that are between you and God? Are you standing on your side of the river still separated from God? If God's working in your heart and you're sensing your need to step onto that bridge of forgiveness, I want to invite you right now, everyone's eyes are closed. If you want to step onto that bridge of forgiveness, would you just raise your hand so that I can see who you are and where you are? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Many, many hands. Thank you. Just raise your hand. If you say, today, I I do want to step out onto that bridge of forgiveness. Those of you who've raised your hands, you can put them down now, but stay with me mentally, okay? I'm going to lead you through a prayer. This is a prayer that you're praying to God, okay? Just pour your heart out to him and tell him this, God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, I acknowledge that there's sin and failure in my life. Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, today I confess you as Lord. Jesus, today I believe that you rose from the grave. Lord, today I pray that you'd forgive those sins in my life. I pray that you'd adopt me into the family of God. And Jesus, I pray that you'd help me to follow you all the days of my life. If you've prayed that today, God promises you. He says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a promise to you. And I'm so excited. So many of you raised your hands and I know so many of you prayed that. And and we're just, we're gonna celebrate that here in just a moment. I want you to know if you've prayed that today, there's, there's three different ways that you can tell us you prayed that because we would love to just help you in your life. We, we are here every Sunday to help you know Christ. And actually, if you, wanna, if you guys want to open your eyes, if you want to look in your program, in your program, you'll see this card. It says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus and, and you will be saved. That's a promise from scripture. There's a pen on your program. And if you want... If you have any kind of need in your life, if you prayed that today, says, I made a decision to trust in Jesus Christ today, or maybe you've got something else, you know, uh, pray for my daughter, she has cancer. 
let us know anything we can help you with. And, and you can fill that out right now because in a moment, we're going to take our offering. And if you're our guest, we did not invite you here to get money from you, okay? But we would love to get to know you. We'd love to help you in your life. So you can fill this out. Here's the other thing. You can text, I believe, to this number. One of our pastors uh, has this. And if you text, I believe, it's just a really easy way for us to know, okay, you made a decision. We're not going to hassle you. We're not going to bug you. But we want to help you know this new relationship that you have with Christ in your life. I'm going to pray for us now, and we're about to, uh, as I said, take that offering. And if, you've, if God's working in your heart today, please drop that card in there, okay? We would love, just love to know you and walk with you. And I'm going to pray now because so many of you, so many of you made that decision today. We're going to celebrate that together as we close now, okay? Why don't you guys, you going to stand up with me and we'll pray together? Father, we praise you for how you are at work in our lives. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Thank you that you came to set us free. Thank you that you came to give us a better life as we know you and an eternal life as we trust in you. Father, I saw so many men and women today who, who raised their hands and they said, I, I do want to know God through Jesus. And, and Lord, I pray today, each one of them who've trusted in you, that they would know today is their day of salvation. You've promised in scripture, Lord, the the moment we call on the name of Jesus, that we're adopted into the family of God. We're set free from those old patterns of sin. We're clothed and we're crowned. And where we were hungry, we're now fed. So Lord, I pray for these men and women. Will you help them to walk in this newness of life? Jesus, those of us who've known you, we just celebrate today that this is what Easter is all about. It's God reaching out to those who are far from him. It's you bridging the divide to us. So we praise you for those today who've set foot on that bridge, who've trusted in Christ. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.